big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin this week's episode, we have a very exciting announcement. We have merch now. Specifically, we have awesome stickers. We designed these stickers using our show art, which was created by Torrance Brown. They're each $5 or two for $9. To get yours, you can head on over to podandprejudice.com slash merch. And while you're there, you can check out our transcripts, which we are so excited to finally be offering. That's at podandprejudice.com slash transcripts. And now enjoy this week's episode covering the first half of episode three of the 1995 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice with our guest, Mike Schubert. So we ready, everyone? Ready. Yes. Let's do this. Okay. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are. And today we are discussing episode three of the BBC Masterpiece version starring our boy Colin Firth. (laughs) And our girl Jennifer Eel. Today we have a very special guest with us. Many of you have probably heard his voice on Potterless, the podcast. We have with us Mike Schubert today. How's it going, Mike? All things considered, it's going very well. I feel like there's like a nice caveat at the beginning of every I'm good of like, Other than the apocalypse, great. (laughs) Right. Other than the fact that the world is exploding and no one wants to wear a mask or give equality to people. Other than that, it's great. Things are dope. Mike, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am a uh, a grown boy that never read the Harry Potter books as a kid. So on my podcast, Potterless, I'm reading them for the first time as an adult. Uh, just going through all the books. And now I'm at the point where I went through all the movies and the play. And I'm doing some of the spinoff stuff and all of that. So that is one of the podcasts I host. And then I also host a uh, podcast called Meddling Adults, where I uh, it's a game show for charity where I have guests competing, trying to solve mysteries from uh, kid detective series like Encyclopedia Brown or Scooby-Doo. And that's very silly. And then I also co-host a basketball podcast called Horse, where we try to show everyone that basketball is for everybody. You don't have to be some dude bro sports head. And we just share like fun NBA stories from the past or talk about players that are beefing with each other, just things to try to approach a sport in like an entertainment way to prove that you don't have to like sports to follow them. They're very dramatic and we can talk about them that way. Yes. So that's what I do. I podcast full time. That's my job. I talk about stuff. Awesome. I have to say that Potterless was the first podcast that I really listened to. So I'm very excited that you're here on the show. No, I'm I'm super excited. This is very exciting for both of us. We're both huge fans. Yeah, no, no, no. It's great. And I've met with you previously before. You're both lovely humans. I am very excited to get in the mix and start talking about Pride and Prejudice, which has a very special place near and dear my heart. What a segue. (laughs) Well, on that note, tell us a little bit about your experience with Austin in your life. Did you just watch episode three of Pride and Prejudice 1995 BBC Masterpiece? Uh, (laughs) Have you read everything she's ever written and gone to Bath? Uh, Tell us us your deal. So 
The only thing from Jane Austen that I've read is Pride and Prejudice because in either junior year or senior year in my English class, they assigned it as one of our assigned reading books. And I went to an all boys high school in Texas. And I remember when they assigned this to us, we, my class collectively, we were like, oh, this is supposed to be like the chick flick version of a book, right? Like this is going to be so girly and frilly. And I can't believe Mr. Fritch is making us read this. And then I remember, you know, like in high school, it's like, oh, you have to read up chapter up to chapter three by this week and now up to chapter five. And like, I remember before class would start, me and my friends would talk about the book. And like, once we got like a third of the way through the book, me and all my friends were like, guys, is this book really good? <laughs> like, is, are, yes. are we really invested in the story? Like, I care a whole lot about Elizabeth. Like, <laughs> it was so funny just to see a bunch of teenage boys be like this is a book for girls and then like halfway through we were yelling at all of the i can't believe mr wickham did that like it, <laughs> it was just such a great 180 of us all thinking we were gonna hate it and it was gonna be so dumb and then like by the time we were halfway through the book we were all obsessed with it uh, i so, love that narrative we love the book and then i believe in class we then watched we watched a couple different movie-ish renditions, but I definitely know that we watched the BBC one, um, which was why I was very excited to be on an episode here because me and all of my friends, there's uh, many times in which people get upset with Mr. Darcy and say like, Mr. Darcy, and we just would say that to each other all of the time. So uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Elizabeth Bennett taught me a lot growing up about how to be... Um absolutely roasting our potential suitors <laughs> and she also taught us the importance of saying mr darcy in a very prim proper mr darcy yes it's so good it is so 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 good i will also say that uh recently my my wife kelly she's obsessed with pride and prejudice specifically but also jane austen stuff and as a i think it was one of one of the gifts she got as either a wedding gift or a bridal shower or something um, her sister got her a card game. Have you guys played the card game Marrying Mr. Darcy? No, we want to do an episode or a series of maybe bonus episodes on us playing it. But I have oh, reached okay. out to the people who make it and asked them to come on the show. They have not answered okay. yet. But oh, man. Fingers crossed for that. Maybe they'll listen to this Please. and hear it and they'll be like, oh, OK, we'll come on the show now. They really should. The, the card game is very fun. And Kelly and I have played recently a bunch. I beat her the first two times we played. And then we tied, and then she finally beat me. So I just want to get on the record that I kicked her butt. Nice. Uh, it's a very, very silly game. Awesome. As a future licensed lawyer, I really appreciate you putting that on the record. Now it's like recorded in history. And <laughs> if you ever need representation against your wife and who won the <laughs> heart of Mr. Darcy, uh, I'm on it for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very important to me. Yeah. Uh, segway, this is related to marrying Mr. Darcy because I understand you play as a character. And who did you play? In as in marrying Mr. Darcy? And second, as far as Pride and Prejudice goes, which character do you feel like you relate to? Sure. Um, so in the game, in the card game, Kelly and I did a fun thing where there's a bunch of different, you get to play as basically all of the women that get married. And uh, we started, I played as Elizabeth, and I think Kelly played as Jane. And then there's eight potential characters you can play as. So when we played the four times, we decided, okay, the next time we play, you can't be Elizabeth or Jane. So I started as Elizabeth because she's the best. Yeah. And the way the game works is like there's all of the different male suitors and then you get different points based on if they're the better match. So like if you're Elizabeth, you get the most points if you end up with Mr. Darcy at the end. And like if you're Jane, you get the most points if you end up with Mr. Bingley at the end, et cetera. So it was fun to like play all that and go after the different guys and stuff. 
as far as who I connect with the most, I feel like it would be either Elizabeth or Mr. Darcy in that, like, I love being very sassy. I'm a big fan of, like, playfully making fun of someone that you have a crush on. Not in, like, the bully the girl I like in middle school way, but more in, like, the talk trash as we play hungry, hungry hippos against each other or something kind of way. <laughs> That kind of stuff. That is so specific, but <laughs> yeah, very like relatable. The, like flirty, flirty trash talking is what I'm, what I'm a big fan of. So I think one of those two. I guess more Elizabeth since she's very direct, and Mr. Darcy's kind of a little bit more of like do stuff behind closed doors and then tell you at the end of the book what I did the whole time. Yeah, and that's just not really my style. So I think I would, uh, I would pick Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, I can totally vibe with that. I think that's a good move for yourself because also Mr. Darcy is mostly a mess. And Lizzie has a little <laughs> bit more idea of what's going on, I think, usually. Agreed. Yes. I also appreciate that Lizzie moves on from hardships pretty quickly. And I yeah. try to pride myself on that. Like, Mr. Wickham's like, oh, by the way, I'm marrying somebody else. And she's like, it's chill, guy, whatever. Yeah, that was in this episode. She was, it like, was. so chill about it. I was surprised. I don't remember it being that way in the book. But we'll we'll get into that. We'll get there. We'll get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, last question before we get into talking about uh, the book the episode is uh, do you have any austin hot takes Ooh, um i don't know if i have anything hot takey but i will just say that when i was watching this episode in prep for this podcast i was very surprised i just didn't remember that the book is set in the time it was written right which was like 1815 or something ridiculous yeah. like i had no idea that the book was that old i thought it was like a more modern book written about older times so mm. i don't know if it's a hot take but it's more of just like the fact that jane austen was so good at writing books in 1815 is slept on yes it's so slept on yeah like the fact that like name anything else that old that's good like nothing right. nothing that <laughs> old is good <laughs> well careful you're talking to two big shakespeare geeks but i do okay, have to right. say that jane austen has the ability to make her sass slap in 2020. Yes, 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 yes. Which is really impressive. Yeah, it would be hard to say that Shakespeare slaps at any given point. Like, there are certain <laughs> monologues that's like, yes, at the end of that monologue, if it's performed really well, for sure. But there are moments in this book just reading it, you're like, fuck, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just surprised when, like, really old writers are funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you look at the depictions of olden times and even... When I was watching this, it's like, what did they do for fun? I guess they did needlepoint and played the piano forte. Mm -hmm. It's like, how were people funny back then? Like, when right. were jokes invented? Right. And uh, I think that's yeah. what this this particular adaptation, though I haven't seen any of the other adaptations, does really well because it is basically word for word what happens in the book, and yet it's fucking funny. So I think that people really who watch this are then like, oh, I'm gonna read the book because it's fucking funny. Oh, absolutely. And on that note, this is a great segue into talking about episode three of the 1995 Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel. Whew, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Beginning with scene one, Lydia comes running in to very dramatic music to tell Lizzie that Charlotte has accepted an offer of marriage from Mr. Collins. And the music in this part was so dramatic. It was like, Oh no. And Lizzie was like, that's Charlotte, impossible. And it was a disaster. I mean, one of the things that I like about this part is that the shots and the music make it so much more dramatic mm -hmm. this time around. Yeah. And then we jump straight to 
Charlotte and Lizzie talking in the Lucas's house and in the background we see Colin showing Sir William everything and being like in Rosings this is this blah 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 and talking about how Rosings is so grand and Charlotte and Lizzie are talking about that Charlotte said yes and Charlotte is asking Lizzie if she's surprised that he was able to get anyone's affection and Lizzie says you know if you like him I'm happy for you but she doesn't understand it. <laughs> it's hard to believe that Charlotte really is happy with him. Yeah. Thankfully, I was watching this and my my memory of exactly the plot of everything in Pride and Prejudice was a little hazy. And Kelly is far more well-versed in it. She's read it like every as of a couple months ago, she reread it. Nice. So she was helping me like catch up to speed. And like the whole thing with Charlotte is like, is like, oh, she's 27. Thus, she's ancient. Thus, she'll never get married. So she's just marrying someone. But yeah, I mean, she doesn't look happy. The dude sucks, so like, I can't blame her. Like, right, Mr. Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's so boring. The flop sweat person. Yep. Gosh, yes. There are so many moments in this episode where Charlotte is saying something, but her eyes are just mm. like bugging out, like "Help me." Yes. There oh, are a lot of it's those. very much like blink three times if you can hear me, kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I give a speech maybe every three episodes about the economics of dating in the Austin era, where mm. basically the thing here is that like Charlotte, if she doesn't marry this guy, basically has no way of getting any income for herself. So basically has to live off of her brothers for the rest right. of her life. So like her decision to marry him is extremely economic and has basically nothing to do with any affection she might hold for him. He's just there and available with an inheritance, basically. Yes, which is fine. Charlotte tells Lizzie basically what you just said. She's very practical as a person. She's never been that romantic. And then Collins comes over and he, every time he says cousin Elizabeth in this episode, I sunk back into my chair a little farther because every time he says it with such reverence in his voice, like cousin Elizabeth, like you can tell he's still thirsting after her. It's disgusting. I hate it so much. It's so bad. Jane Austen is really bad about cousins together in general. Yeah. But the way he yeah. says cousins makes it so clear how recently he thought he was going to have sex with her. Yeah. Ew, 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 ew. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially hard for me because I don't have any cousins. So it's hard for me to contextualize the creepiness level of it. But I can like it can't be good. Even in 1815. Right. Do you have any, like, family friends you've known forever? Yeah. But I guess, like, I could date them if I wanted to. Right. So or it's not like... anymore because I'm married, but, like, I could have. <laughs> right. It's, like, halfway <laughs> between the idea of having, like, a really close family friend and a sibling. So it's not quite as gross as a sibling. But it's, like, it's still it's gross. Still gross. <laughs> yeah. 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 He tells Lizzie that he's the happiest of men and Lizzie just kind of smiles at him like very proper and buttoned up. And then we cut straight to her and Jane in the drawing room and her screaming about how disgusting it was and how Charlotte is so she knows that she's marrying the stupidest of men. And it was so <laughs> humiliating and all of this stuff. And she's like flustered. And Jane is like, Lizzie. It's a practical decision. Not everyone is the same. It's okay. Very Jane. A very Jane thing to Extremely say. Extremely Jane. I have to say, this is like a very relatable scene from the Lizzie perspective. And I think it really captures what Austin was going for here, which is when you hate your friend's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Right? And to their face, you're like, I'm happy for you. If you love him, I love him. And then you go to your other friend and you're like, what does she see in him? <laughs> yeah. I did really appreciate 
Jane's little shade moment where she was like, our cousin is not the cleverest of men. <laughs> I liked that from her. The shade, the shade levels. I think that's Jane Austen shines the most in creative ways to shade people. Yeah. It's very yes, impressive. Absolutely. She really uh, has redefined the clever insult in this book. Mm -hmm. It's the entire book. And that's why it's so hot as a book because they're all just insulting each other the entire time. Yes, absolutely. So Lizzie tells Jane that she doubts that she'll have to choose, implying that Bingley is both in love with her and rich. So she's going to be able to marry for money and for love. And Jane actually says, you may perhaps, which I, I took to mean you may have to choose between money and love, because at this point, everyone thinks that Lizzie and Wickham are going to get together. Is that was I interpreting that right? I thought it was that she was saying, oh, you could have that too, Lizzie. Oh, OK. Then right while they're talking about Jane and Bingley being in love, a letter arrives for her from Netherfield. And it's Caroline telling her that they've at this time, already all left for London, and they probably aren't coming back. The God, timing. The worst. So bad. Oh, we do not stand Caroline Bingley in this house. No, no, we do not. She's awful. They did pick, like, a perfect actress to play her, though, because her ability to convey how mean she is with just the arch of an eyebrow is impressive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I've brought this up before, but she also plays someone thirsting after Colin Firth in What a Girl Wants, 2003, starring Amanda oh. Bynes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's so good at that character. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is that my boyfriend, Mike, not the Mike who's on the podcast right now. has Different person. I was watching this with him and he uh, pointed out that the woman who plays Jane looks like a female Alan Tudyk. Who I had to look up. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. Have you ever watched like uh, Firefly or Dodgeball? Or... Yes, yes. So he plays Wash on Firefly. He plays the pirate dude in Dodgeball. Oh, Steve the Pirate? Yeah, I could see it. <laughs> yeah, right. I could see it. <laughs> the other thing I, I noticed is that in the credits, there was someone else, Bonham Carter, like a uh, her yeah. brother or something. And she looks... She looks slightly like she could pass as a Bonham Carter cousin and that she has a similar like face shape to Helena. Uh, yeah. And I could see a little bit of that. Yeah, I thought it was her that's the Bonham Carter, mm -hmm. but actually the Bonham Carter is Bingley, yep. right? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Charles Bingley. Yeah, but she does kind of look like a Bonham Carter. Yeah. Totally. Then we read the letter and we hear it in voiceover, which I really liked because we got to see them leaving Netherfield and Bingley and Georgiana Darcy shaking hands. And that was our first introduction to Georgie and like seeing her watching over being like, yes, this girl's going to marry my brother and she's going to be my sister. And that's where Jane gets the idea that Bingley doesn't love her. So fuck Caroline Bingley. <laughs> we really don't like it. No, she's awful. One of the quick things I wanted to point to here just in terms of like storytelling is that if you look at how Caroline and Louisa are dressed through the entire things, the color palette they choose for those two is vomit colored. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> like always. <laughs> oh my God. All of my costume designer friends just melted inside. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the vomit colored. But dresses, it's true. They are. Yeah. They're brighter than the clothes that all the other women are wearing. Even Lydia and Kitty, well, they have their red coats, but their, like, actual clothes are, like, muted pastels. Jane is always in light pink. Lizzie's always in cream. But these two women are always wearing these vomit-colored silks to represent the, the bile in their hearts. No, to um, show, like, I guess the there are certain clothes of certain, like, 
make that are harder to make and colors that are less common amongst the lower classes. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Lizzie is furious at the end of this letter. She says, obviously, this is all Caroline's plan. She doesn't want her to marry her brother, but she could hardly, like, with a man so in love, she's not going to be able to convince him that he's in love with Georgiana Darcy. And Jane looks like she's trying to be comforted by it, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, Jane felt already defeated here. I felt like Jane needed to push back against it a little more. She was very, like, seemed to be very okay with, like, well, Caroline is stepping in. And thankfully, Elizabeth is like, no, we're not letting this happen, which is good. But I felt, I was like, I want to be like, come on, Jane, stand up for yourself. Like, fight for the man. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yes, That's what I've been saying this whole fucking book is that Jane just lets people tell her what's happening and walk all over her. And she needs to stand up for what she believes in and her feelings. Mm -hmm. Yes. And because she can't do that, it also is because she trusts that Caroline has her best interests at heart, which if you look at the woman And the way she looks at everybody else, you could know for sure was not the case. But she just assumes, like, girls got low self-esteem. She's like, no man of that sort of handsome, intelligent, wealthy stature could possibly want little old me. And the thing is that she means it, too. It's not even supposed to be, like, self-deprecating as a cute thing, which is not cute. But, like, you know how some people do that? Oh, yeah. She means Mm -hmm. it. She really believes that she's not good enough. So it's sad this brings me to becca's first study question of the episode mm-hmm. um, and i want to talk about uh, how they capture charlotte as a foil to lizzie and collins as a foil to darcy in the conversation between lizzie and jane because in the books this is sort of interspersed through but in the tv show it necessarily can't be so how do you think that scene does in conveying these themes that we talked about so much when collins proposed to charlotte in the book well We got a little bit in a few episodes ago with Jane saying, Lizzie, I would very much like to marry for love and all of that. Then we see in the scene between Lizzie and Jane in this episode, Lizzie says, you would never marry a man like that to secure your well-being, like your monetary well-being. And Jane's like, no, I wouldn't. But everybody's not the same. And there Jane is kind of hinting at the fact that she wants very much to marry for love, but she also really understands the necessity of marrying for money. Like, she doesn't look down upon it. Yeah, I think the way they convey it is just, like, the two, how different the two of them approach marriage and what they're trying to get out of it. Just listening to the language in which they speak about either their men or the institution of marriage, it's just, it's very apparent that they have different goals and priorities and situations and just like they're not on the same page at all with what they're going for. Yeah, you can also see in the temperament of how they're talking about Charlotte and Collins, Lizzie is pacing back and forth. (laughs) She is ranting and Jane is sitting there like, let's take a step back. (laughs) Well, to be fair to Lizzie, Collins just gave her one of the most insulting marriage proposals in the entirety of literature, only really beat out by the one at the end of this episode, but we'll get there. (laughs) But yeah, I think both of those statements are accurate and I also think that there's a way in which Lizzie's sort of internal yelling about Charlotte and Collins in the book has to necessarily come out in the TV show and Jane becomes the sounding board and I think that's great because it also gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to see the relationship between Lizzie and Jane and to also hear someone tell Lizzie that she's being dumb. Right. Yes. (laughs) Which we, we need occasionally. Everybody needs it. Exactly. 
All right, scene two. Let's get on going. Yeah, so we are now in Meryton. The girls are walking around. Kidia is looking at pretty dresses. Oh, by the way, Mike, we call Kitty and Lydia Kittya collectively when they're together. At first, I was like, like, oh, is Kitty short for Kittya? I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) I realized as I said it, I was like, wait, that's a weird thing to say. No, but it totally makes sense to lump them together. (laughs) It makes so much sense. Yes, they're a team. Um, so they're looking in the window at a dress, and Lydia is like, oh, that ugly piece of cloth would do lovely for Mary, don't you think? Mary's not even there with them, so they leave her out. That's rude. Leave Mary alone. Justice for Mary. We see the boys, TMTM, TM, across the way. That's Denny Carter, I think it is. I don't know. And Wickham. But uh, Mike pointed out how weird that actor is every time he's super strange he extends a hand to a woman he just like bares his teeth a little bit in a really creepy <laughs> gross mm-hmm, way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah he's super weird he's just there for like he's the one to hang out with kitty and so he has equally lacking personality which is sad for kitty they are joking about how Lizzie's going to keep Wickham all to herself because she's violently in love with him. And she's like, oh, my God, for heaven's sake, lower your voices because they're right there. And Lydia has no filter. I really like Denny. He's just so lovely. The other one, not the gritted teeth one. <laughs> yeah, he's just a kid. Yeah, he's pleasant. I think he's great. So they come over. Kitty goes with Denny and Carter to look at the shops or whatever they do in town to hang out. And Lizzie walks off with Wickham. And they start talking. Lizzie brings up the ball and how she wished that he had been there. And he says, ah, yes, fate has kept me. And then he pauses and he acts like he's thinking about being honest with her and he's like no with you I must be completely honest and I just wanted to like throw something at my screen because I hate that guy (laughs) oh my notes say what a fucking asswipe and Lizzie says that she admires his restraint for not going because he says that the reason he didn't go is because he didn't want to make Darcy uncomfortable and she says that it would have been a bad confrontation to be in Bingley's house because she doesn't want Bingley to be embarrassed and then Wickham brings up that that would also embarrass Jane by extension. And Lizzie's like, oh, he noticed. Lizzie's just like shitting on Darcy here really hard. Always. As we've discussed, that's her. Well, yeah, the reason she likes Wickham is because their number one activity together is trash talking Mr. Darcy. And Mr. Collins. Honestly, that's what you need in a partner. Like you need someone who you can make fun of other people with. It's an important exactly. aspect of a relationship. A relationship should be built on mutual hatred for another that you like to talk about together. Amen. And also loving each other, you know. Uh, right, that too. Yeah, secondary. Sure. But, that, yeah. that too. He brings up Collins and Charlotte, and he says that that's a very fortunate match, but he had thought that Collins is, you know, crush on Lizzie was a thing. And Lizzie said, yeah, thankfully... He has tended his affections elsewhere to everyone's satisfaction. And he has game here and says, and relief. Like, of course, Wickham has game. Wickham has nothing but game. I know, but it's 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 not fair (laughs) because Darcy has so little game. Yeah, exactly. Wickham is like totally having her fall swooning in love with him. And he's about to ruin everything. Anyway, she falls for it. And she invites him to tea. And that's the end of that scene. It is. And Becca's study question. This one goes for this scene we just finished and the upcoming one. And this one's really for Molly more because it's it's a book-related one. But 
here we're adding things and we're subtracting things from this part in the book. Have you noticed what we're adding and have you noticed what we're subtracting? Um, the only thing that I noticed that was added is that in the book, at some point they just mentioned that Lizzie's family had already met Wickham and that he's been hanging out for a while. So here we're actually getting to see him. Well, we still don't get to see him meet them for the first time, but we are getting to see her invite him to come meet her parents, which is a big deal. What else did we miss? We're skipping over a lot of descriptions of like the time passing. We're missing out on the fact that like this is like nine months going by. Oh, dang. Cool. Which is great because this part of the book is actually really boring. Yeah, you know, I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now for the first time and it's taken me a really long time to get through. It's a lot of walking in the woods. So I'm glad we skipped that in this. They walk in the woods for like the first 200 pages. I had to take a break from reading Lord of the Rings for the first time because I'm studying for the bar exam right now. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's so fun. But they walk for the first like 300 pages and then nothing else happens except the hobbits keep eating and walking. Well, I'm in the second book now and that's still what they're doing. It is picking up a bit. But like anyway, there is a lot of passage of time. I remembered in the first couple of chapters of this book, like the first volume really was time passing, me being like, how much time has it been? Why does it feel like nothing's going on? So I'm glad that we're getting right to the point. And then you said we were adding some stuff? Yeah, um, I really think that we're adding the flirtation between Wickham and Lizzie here. It's sort of like, it's talked about that they see each other, but the actual banter between them is not written in the book the way that the Darcy-Lizzie banter is written in the book. I see. So we get to fall in love with Wickham a little bit more in this except for that he's not that hot but <laughs> you know hello it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts hot and bothered hosted by returning pot and prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan is a podcast that treats romance as sacred you've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season they covered pride and prejudice and now hot and bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. So... 
that brings us to scene three. After Wickham has met the family and they're like outside saying goodbye to the officers. So then we go inside and Mr. Bennett is talking about how Wickham could tell stories and stories about Darcy and like why read a book? He could just listen to him tell these tales and Lizzie gets really offended and she defends him and she says she thinks that Darcy was really cruel to him and she believes him wholeheartedly. And Mr. Bennett says that Darcy might not be any worse than any rich man. Which I thought was like a real Bernie Sanders moment for Mr. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does not like the wealthy. Apparently, he's clearly of the upper classes, though, so he needs to calm down. That's something that I've had qualms with for some time now. Mary agrees with Daddy Bennett. She says, you know, we it would behoove us all to... I don't know, consider before we make a judgment about anyone. And everyone rolls their eyes at Mary, as always. And then <laughs> I love I love that Mary is to the family as Jerry is to everybody in Parks of Rec. Yes. Just like, shut up, Mary. <laughs> that is exactly how Mary is to the family. It's so devastating. <laughs> Poor Mary. Yeah. Good, good reference there. <laughs> and the thing is, like, at least Jerry in Parks and Rec has what's her face. Is it Pamela Anderson who plays? No, it's uh, Christy Brinkley. Christy Brinkley. So like he has this beautiful wife, beautiful daughters. Mary has her books, the Bible. And she's good at the piano forte. She's okay at the piano forte. (laughs) She's decent. She is not as good at the piano forte as she believes she is. That's true. Yeah. Comparatively to the other young ladies of the time. But I want Mary to get a beautiful wife, you know? Yes. Yes, give Mary a wife 2020. Yeah. So Mrs. Bennett then talks about how she remembers liking a red coat every now and then. This is the moment that made me really think that Mrs. Bennett would be one of those middle-aged women who would really enjoy going to a gay bar and being extremely loud. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Absolutely. I want to go to a gay bar with Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, the way that Mrs. Bennett was portrayed in the acting, just all of the voice and stuff. I think this might have been, I remember when when you two were asking, like, what episode do I want to be on? I was like, I just remember there's some point in one of the episodes where someone really loudly, upsetly at Mr. Darcy goes, Mr. Darcy. And like, there were still a good chunk of Mr. Darcy's in this episode. I don't know if the one was there, but it might have been Mrs. Bennett who says it. But like, her voice and inflection all over the place is just, oh, it's a A work of art. It's fantastic. Like the way she says behoove, like she was like, it would be Oh, it's amazing. I love Mrs. Bennett in this. She's phenomenal. Shouts to the actress who does it because that must be mm-hmm. like physically exhausting to do. Oh, yeah. Then she, speaking of Mrs. Bennett, she turns to Lizzie and she's like, I don't know what you're smirking at. Like, Wickham may like you, but you've done nothing to deserve it. You, She like tells her off for everything, like turning down Mr. Collins, being, <laughs> being too loud mouthed about her feelings and blah, 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 blah. Then she reveals that Bingley has left forever, which we thought we already knew, but this time it's more certain. And Jane is like, it is true. They're not coming back. And it's very solemn. And then Daddy Bennett has his iconic line about next to being married, one likes to be crossed in love every now and then. And he turns to Lizzie and he's like, when will your turn come? Let Wickham be your man. And it's phenomenal. I love Daddy Bennett. So much. He has a real knack for making fun of his daughters when they're going through epic heartbreak and humiliation. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so bad, actually, that Jane gets up in the middle of his sentence and leaves the room. And nobody says, like, wait, are you okay? 
Jane come back. Everyone just keeps talking. Well, it's very British. They have to excuse themselves. Right. Very proper. Mrs. Bennett starts complaining then about how Charlotte Lucas is going to be mistress of Longbourn. And Daddy Bennett, this is different from in the book. Daddy Bennett says, let us flatter ourselves that I might outlive you. And I thought that was amazing that like she won't have to see Charlotte come in the house because she might already be dead by the time that happens. In the book, it's let us flatter ourselves that I might outlive him, meaning that Collins will die before he inherits the house. But I liked this better. It definitely goes better with the dynamic of Mr. Bennett. I feel like Mr. Bennett roasts Mrs. Bennett quite a bit in the books, but I feel like the TV series really does focus in on how much Daddy Bennett makes fun of his wife. Yes. <laughs> oh, also, Mike, we should explain. We call him Daddy Bennett because for the first half of Pride and Prejudice or possibly longer, Molly decided that he was incredibly hot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can see it. You know. Yeah. You know, even watching this, I'm still, I'm not going to say that I'm not attracted to him. <laughs> so. Do you want to tell Mike who your original cast for him was, though? My original cast for Daddy Bennett was... Um, Zachary Quinto. Oh, okay. I don't right? know if he's old enough, but I get the like personality vibe match there. Yeah, like the glasses down on the nose like this. And in my mind, that's how old he was. We had a whole thing where we Googled Zachary Quinto's age, mm -hmm. and then we tried to figure out if that would match up to having daughters that age. And I think it was fine. I think it worked. I feel like, uh, rest in peace, I feel like Alan Rickman could also do a great job of this. <gasps> Like uh -huh. him being <laughs> him being just like, uh, you know, it's it fits in like the Snape ish vibe of like throwing around insults, but he's a nicer person. And I always thought Alan Rickman was too nice to be Snape, the character who mm -hmm. should be like is worse Massive than he's bully. portrayed in the movies. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like Alan Rickman could be in there of like throwing shade around. Uh, it would work. And yeah, glasses at the end of the nose. He could rock it real good. Absolutely. Mike, at a certain point in time, you have to get your wife, Kelly to show you Sense and Sensibility, the one that was made in the 90s, because Alan Rickman is in that, and he is so good. Okay, okay. He is like, possibly at his most heartthrob level in that movie. Ooh. I mean, it's going to be tough for competing with him as Hans Gruber in Die Hard, but yeah, I could see it. Yeah, and uh, Hugh Grant is also in that one, and he is at oh, his baby. possibly floppiest in that movie. Powerhouse. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> wow. So then we jump to Jane and Lizzie, uh, Jane telling Lizzie she shouldn't feel sorry for her. It's OK. She's going to get over it. Trying to be like Lizzie moving on, getting over boys real quickly. But we all know that it's a lie coming out of Jane's mouth. And Lizzie then suggests that Jane go into town and stay with the gardeners. And she's like super eyebrow wiggly. And Jane's like, why, Lizzie? And she's like, hmm, no reason. This is different from in the book, too, because in the book, the gardeners were already here and they asked Lizzie if she thought that Jane would want to come into town. So this is like more Lizzie manipulating things. Absolutely. I was going to this was my study question at the end of the scene is you see Lizzie going full wee man here and like how that tweaks with Lizzie's character and like her motivations. Yeah, I, am, I appreciate wingman Lizzie. I think it's a good look. I think it's a role she thrives in. I think Lizzie is the character of stand up for yourself and don't just marry people. Like she is the one that is questioning just people like going along with marriage like Charlotte Lucas does. Right. So I think it's fun for her to try to encourage others to approach it the way that she does, because I think her head is in the right place. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like the 
this is going to be a very dramatic way of saying this, but it's the revolutionary notion of being a romantic in this time period because Lizzie has decided for herself that she refuses to be anything less than in love with her husband. And she wants that for her sister too. And she wants it badly enough that she is saying, no, no, you're going to fight for this. You're going to look for this because you don't just have to marry a man to be comfortable in life. Mm-hmm. You can marry a man and you can want the man that you marry. And so like you, you see her optimism in this and her need for this to work out. And it's awesome because that is something that Jane Austen basically was inventing in the time. Wild. Truly wild. Right? Yeah, I love this book. It's wild. It's so cute. Everything is cute. I have to say, so we took a a recording break last weekend. So it's been two weeks since we recorded our last episode, which means that I could only get my Jane Austen fix by watching this episode. So I did watch it four times. (laughs) Um, And it was good every time. I really admire your ability to hold back because we recorded our last chapter episode after like it, we had like a break between that recording and the one before it and Molly wanted a Jane Austen fix and then she watched the first episode of this and she was like now all I want to do is talk about this so she said real restraint since then it's amazing <laughs> thank you working really hard yeah the Mike has like Mike your boyfriend oh no Mike Schubert oh this me Mike. hello hi you basically <laughs> have like the monopoly on uh the self-control of not reading ahead when you want yeah. to read ahead because you took the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter, which is impressive. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard, especially because like I didn't when I first did the podcast, it wasn't exactly chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like I did it based on like what I thought would be about an hour's worth of audio for a podcast. Right. Um. So early on, it wasn't as hard because like I w- would do multiple chapters. But then once you get into books like six and seven, it's so dense that you're basically only covering a chapter per episode of the podcast was what I was doing. And that's when it got harder, especially in book six, when you're trying to figure out like, who's the half blood prince and all of that. So yeah, it it got hard, but it was just what kept me going was the episodes of Potterless where I was wrong about guessing what happened next were so beloved. Mm -hmm. Like me thinking Ludo back back in the fourth book, stuff like that, that I knew it was in my best interest for my podcast that I not do it. And uh, that that is what kept me going. Yeah. My favorite thing that's happened like that on our show so far is that I thought that Caroline Bingley and Darcy were like best friends and that she was trying to wingman him with Lizzie for the first half of the oh, book. Oh, okay. Because it, I, I wasn't reading into it that she was flirting with him at all. I was just, it was way over my head. So. <laughs> Which is why you're a bit more like Mr. Darcy. <laughs> me? Yes. Because <laughs> it was also going over Mr. Darcy's head. Yep. Thank you. Yep. But I'm a Bingley. We all know it. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That brings us to the gardeners. Mrs. Bennett runs out to meet the gardeners. They're coming out and she's like, oh, my God, you're late. I thought you'd been robbed and your carriage tipped over. She has this really dramatic shawl on as she's running out to meet them. And it's everything. Yeah. The gardeners are obviously just very lovely people. Mrs. Gardner obviously has her favorites and Lizzie and Jane right away. Lydia runs up to her and is like, you brought us presents. And Mrs. Gardner is like, Lydia, you haven't changed one bit and like kind of pulls the present back. And they are talking about how they have to go to the Phillipses. Mrs. Bennett says she would much rather stay at home and rest her poor nerves. But alas, time to go to the Phillipses, which is a Christmas party? Question mark. Yes, it is a Christmas party. and. Again, we're pointing to the fact that, like, they were hanging out with the Bingleys at Netherfield in the summer. 
Oh, yes. And now we've flashed forward to Christmas. Wow. So Jane's been upset for a while now. Oh, poor Jane. She's really sad. Also, it keeps cutting to her being sad in this episode. Yep, it's a constant theme. This is before Adele came out, so she she didn't know how to process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Mary is playing the piano, the pianoforte, and she's okay. Someone is singing with her, and I commented on this girl a few episodes back. I think it was the first episode. I said there was a girl in a yellow dress looking really nervous. Like, I thought she, the actress might have had a crush on Colin Firth and was being, like, really anxious. <laughs> Turns out that girl is Mariah Lucas, which I have been pronouncing wrong for the entire book. Yep, but I have too, so it's fine. And she has a personality in this episode, so I'm so excited to see her be more than just nervous girl in a yellow dress. Mike, you have to understand this name pops up so many times in the book, and there is not a single description of who she is as a person. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. She's a mystery, an enigma. <laughs> we love to see women who don't speak. Exactly. Yes. The secret star of Pride and Prejudice is Mariah Lucas. Hell fucking yeah. Absolutely. I also, the thing that I really enjoyed, or thing that I found funny, I guess, about this party is when, I think there's at one point where they like run over and they're like, Mary, play this song instead. And then they start to dance, big quotation marks around the word dance. <laughs> I was really, I was like, I was really in my brain, I wanted this to be like a party and it was like, Mary, play Yeah by Usher. And then they start, you know, like that actually. is exactly what is happening <laughs> That's amazing. in that moment. They want to grind. It's just the, yes. be- the old school version. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's a recurring theme is Mary playing some sort of like dirge and then being like, Mary, play something else. And her being like, but I don't get pleasure from that. And they're like, we don't care. We want to dance. Your one friend who insists on DJing like Fleet Foxes at a party when you're like, no, play the rap. Give me 2000s R&B. Put on Destiny's Child and shut up. Exactly. Yeah, this is the cha-cha slide. If Mary's playing anything yeah. else Gosh. right now. Yeah, they're dancing. What the? Oh, my God. God. This is the only time they get to touch each other in polite society. So it's all oh, very charged. So but it looks like they're just doing like a line dance that middle-aged people do at a bar mitzvah. It's like not even a line dance. They're just like walking. It's just like walking in different routes. Yeah. And often just standing. Ugh. Yes. Yeah. It's not hot. Not at all. It's nothing. No. Well, you know what? To each their own. I personally think this is very charged. No, it's <laughs> this particular one's not charged. But when Lizzie and Darcy did dance together, that was charged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Becca, the next time we're allowed to have a party in person, we're going to do a birthday party for you. And we're going to only do dances like this. And I want you to tell me how you feel. You know what? Good. Good. I'll bring my piano forte. Excellent. Play Destiny's Child. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get some gossip time with the Bennett Phillips Gardner sisters. They're all related in some way or another. Mrs. Bennett and Mrs. Phillips are sisters, and their brother is Mr. Gardner. So it's two sisters and a sister-in-law. Got it. They're gossiping about how sad they are about Jane and how angry they are that Lizzie said no to Mr. Collins. Well, actually, just Mrs. Phillips and Mrs. Bennett are gossiping. Mrs. Gardner is sitting there really uncomfortably because she's cool. Can we talk about the bows in this moment, though? The candy stripe thing that that we had going on on her head? She has, like, three bows that cover her entire crown of her head. Yeah, it's phenomenal. The accessory game and the hair game was especially shocking in this episode. I did not recognize, like, how ridiculously curled the girls' hairs are. Yeah. Like, intense, intense curls going on. And then all of the dudes just having the gangliest, straggliest, most awful mutton chops possible. It like 
oh yeah the choice is made honestly that's kind of what everyone's coming out of quarantine looking like at this point in time so, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh for sure i've been really working on getting some hugh grant hair going we mentioned him earlier and i love how his hair always flops sort of forward but middle parted and I really want that for myself, but I'm out of hair product and I have just been wearing hats. So mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. we're doing great. It's fine. I've been trying to recreate Eleanor Shellstrop's haircut on the good place for the last like uh-huh. three years, but now it's all growing out. And so now it's just more like a uh, drowned rat. I don't really know. Not oh, Eleanor. Bad. Anyway, so then Lizzie and Wickham come over because Lizzie wants to introduce him to her aunt and Mrs. Bennett straight up gets up and walks away when she comes over and it is awkward. What a good mother. This is where we find out that Mrs. Gardner grew up really close to Pemberley, which is where Wickham grew up and where Darcy grew up. And they bond over how beautiful it is. And he, you see it in his beady little eyes. He's like, oh, do you know the family that lives there? And she's like, no, I don't. And so he talks about how wonderful the older Mr. Darcy is and how he was like a father to him, kind of buttering her up to then. We don't see him shit on Darcy with her in this episode, but it happens in the book. So that's where that's going, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just sort of sick of showing us Wickham shit on Darcy at this point. Fair. This is where the dancing happens and Lydia tells Mary to put on the cha-cha slide or (laughs) yeah, by Usher. (laughs) And then they start doing the thing that that we could call dancing. We could, we could. And the way she asks makes me think that if Lydia were alive in 2020, she would have a TikTok and it'd be very active. Yes, (laughs) for sure. I also, going back, something I forgot to mention is when they have a conversation about Pemberley, they say all of the most British words possible back to back when they start (laughs) naming all the towns. It's like, oh, do you know Pemberley? That's right outside of like Worthington. And like, oh, right by Crumbsley. Like all the words they say are like, Jesus Christ. They're so so British. British. We have a trend of really butchering the names of the British towns on this show. So with Lambton. That was, uh, yeah, Lambton. Derbyshire. Derbyshire. So we've had to, we've gotten listeners emailing us and messaging us being like, please look up how to say these words because you're Uh, making me really just like my skin's crawling. And I was like, guys, I haven't read the book before. So how would I know? That was when we were pronouncing Hertfordshire. uh, Hertfordshire. 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 Yeah, this happened to me with Potterless too, is that a lot of the British listeners I found are very passionate when you mess up British things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they, because like other countries take in American media, but like I don't pay attention to media from other countries. I'm sorry. Uh, It's just like not a two-way street there. So when I don't know like British stuff, people get so mad at me. And it's like, first off, I grew up in America and I am American. So if you're like, oh, I can't believe how American is, it's like, Shut up. I'm I like yeah. stop sending me these harshly worded emails. And then oh man, when I said fish and chips was just a kids menu item, I got oh, no. lots of hay mail. Like your national dish <laughs> is a kids menu item. Don't talk to me. That's hilarious. That's not even their national dish. Their national dish is chicken tikka masala. Yeah, which is not from England. It's Indian. <laughs> Classic England. Classic England. But yeah, getting stuff wrong. I I look up a lot of things and I put in our episode notes like a glossary of terms and phrases I had to look up. And a lot of them are like different kinds of carriages. And I'm like, people can't get mad at me because I actually grew up in the 21st century. I don't know about y'all, but right. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't go by horse and buggy. So yeah, that's the benefit we have, uh, I think, for Jane Austen over Harry Potter is that a lot of the Jane Austen stuff is old and tiny. So 
everyone has to look it up. It's not like second nature to most people. To most people, but yeah, you people. would think that. But people still people still get mad when I mess up magical words. You know, things that are pretend and not real. <laughs> There's a canonical I mean, way to say it. Cool. Yeah, I've never used one before. <laughs> Did any? I mean, everybody calls her Hermione, but when they started reading the book, yeah, everybody's gotta get if they're high fucking horse. The podcast is about rereading the books for the first time. Nobody knew anything yeah. right the first time. Exactly. Preach. Um. Oh wait, one more. One more. I called her, I called her, um, I called Draco Malfoy's mom Narcissa until I saw the movie. Narcissa. It's fine. Narcissa. Narcissa, she's Italian. She's Italian. But Draco. But anyway, Jane Austen, which is what this is about. Mr. Darcy. <laughs> During the dancing, we see this redheaded girl making eyes at Wickham very prominently. And at first I was like, oh, maybe everybody makes eyes at Wickham like that. But then I realized this got to be Miss King. And I was right about something. So. Yep. When I was watching it with Kelly, Kelly audibly outlined next to me because she hadn't seen this Colin Firth adaptation thing, which she is now going to start binging tonight. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. She, once, once the redheaded girl came up, she goes, oh, shit, that's Mary King. <laughs> Wait, question, question for I guess not for you, Mike, but for Kelly and for Becca. Did we ever learn that her first name was Mary in the book? I don't think so. We just hear Miss King. Uh, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was in the book. I do know that it, I'm pretty sure that in Marrying Mr. Darcy, they call her Mary King oh, on okay. one of the cards. Like that one of the cards oh, is okay. that Mary King steals away Mr. Wickham. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So she does. So she's making eyes at him <laughs> during this dance. And while he's dancing, Wickham keeps looking at Lizzie. So she's like happy with that, I guess. They're watching the dance, Lizzie and Charlotte. And Charlotte invites Lizzie to come see her with Sir William and Mariah, a another moment where her eyes are kind of bugging out and she's like, Lizzie, please come to see me. I don't know when I'm gonna ever be back, help. And Lizzie says she will only go if she gets to see the famous Rosings chimney or chimneys, plural, that everyone keeps bringing up and Charlotte says that she couldn't avoid getting to see that if she wanted to. Then Mariah comes running up and we get to like see her be something other than afraid, which was awesome. And she was so excited that Lizzie's coming. And then she and Mrs. Gardner start gossiping about Miss King. And we learn that she has just inherited 10,000 pounds. Wickham want that money. He do. So study question here real quickly. Um, they skip over a bunch of the tensions between Charlotte and Lizzie. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like they kind of solved it in that first scene of this episode where Lizzie was like, listen, if you're happy, I'm happy. But like, she's clearly not. Yeah. In the book, Charlotte and Lizzie kind of have a like a tiff. Not exactly. But you see Lizzie basically say many times, like, I'll never be close to her again. Mm -hmm. And they kind of resolve that as the story goes on. But you see Lizzie's genuinely sort of offended by Charlotte's life choice. And I feel like that's not really embedded in this episode so much yeah it felt very swept under the rug in the episode it was just kind of like well yeah you know okay fine there's not not my choice but not gonna yuck your yum and then they kind of move on right oh i think it kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier mike which is that lizzie gets over stuff really quickly and i think that the right. film really leaned into that and was like lizzie wasn't <laughs> into collins she's not pissed about Charlotte marrying him and she's gonna become friends with her again real soon it also like livens up this part of the story because again this part of the book gets really bogged down because you take a break from seeing Mr. Darcy who's sort of driving the plot mm -hmm. so like they find different ways to make this more fun to watch. We all want to just watch Colin Firth and they know it. Yeah. It's not just watching Colin Firth it's watching Colin Firth stare uncomfortably for hours. Ah. 
I gotta say, when I was I was trying to find on YouTube like the specific, I wanted to see if there were different compilations of like every time someone says Mr. Darcy in <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. If someone wants to make that, please do it because yeah. every time someone says it, it's so fantastic. I wasn't able to find that compilation, but I was able to find lots of compilations of Colin Firth staring at you uncomfortably for five minutes, or <laughs> I want someone to look at me the way Colin Firth makes eyes at his lover for five minutes, like. Lots of lots of uh, intense Colin Firth stare compilations out on YouTube if you need that in your life. Thank you. Oh, yes. I do. Oh, yes. I have seen many of them as well. And I mean, <laughs> like, when you look at him in this TV series, he's just, that's what he does. He makes me want to cry. Yep. Yeah. His performance <laughs> yeah. for the first half of the series is just him staring intensely at Jennifer Eel. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of brilliant. We're going to get into this in a little bit, but... He does so much. They both do him and Jennifer Eel, queen and king of eyebrow acting. Oh yeah, the subtlety. Oh yes, facial expressions galore. Yes, it's like oh, just one eyebrow twitches a little bit, and your whole face is different. I want to master that. I need to go to a master class with them. Damn. Wow, a master class in eyebrow acting sounds great, but so does a master class in talking less because listeners, we've done it again. We had too much to say about this episode of Pride and Prejudice, so you'll have to just tune in again next time to hear the rest of our conversation with Mike. If you want to find Mike on social media, his personal handle is shubes17, that's S-C-H-U-B-E-S-1-7. And if you want to listen to his podcasts, which I highly recommend, you can search for Potterless, Horse, and Meddling Adults, which are all members of Multitude Productions. Until next time, stay proper and find yourself an eyebrow acting coach. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.